Thank you for joining us for another episode of Awaken Empowered Podcast. I'm Ethan Fox, and I'm here with Michaela Sheldon. And today we thought we would um, talk about the topic of money more specifically than, of course, we've discussed it, touched on it in all of our shows to some degree. In this show, we wanted to get more into the practical as well as the multidimensional aspects in a more specific way and even talk about the macroeconomics and what's going on in the world today and what we're heading into so that you can be better prepared for the future that we're heading into. So with regard to that topic, I wanted to kind of start with the um, elements of the, the bigger picture, which we've talked and touched on many times, and that is that as souls, we come here with everything that we need already in place. So it's kind of like a cosmic bank account we arrange to have available to us in this life so that we can have whatever resources we need at the times that we need it. So if you're going through a period of time where you have a lot of money, it could be because at that time you needed to have that for the experience you chose to have, uh, whatever that experience should happen to be. And if there are times when you don't have as much, that could be because at that time there are certain experiences you need to have um, that way where you don't have as many resources. Now, when we use the topic of money here, depending on your lifestyle and where you live, the topic may apply differently. Uh, we're using money as a as an umbrella term, but really referring to resources and resources in Western societies, if you require money, will be a financial dollar or currency of some sort, whatever that is in your area. Um, but if you're living in a indigenous tribe, for example, where money is not used, that could be other things that are used as resources in that particular area. So you have to apply this to your own situation and translate when we use the terminology of money to to your unique situation. And sometimes money may be other resources. For example, people showing up to help you with something um, that you need help with. As many times as I've shared some of my personal stories in my own life journey, there have been many times in my life where I had a lot of money. Uh, and, uh, and there have been times when I had very little and both in hindsight makes sense in in terms of the experience I've had. And even in my, in the previous show that we did, where I shared how when Michaela and I met, I didn't have a lot of money. Although prior to that I did, even in that period of time where I didn't have money, the resources showed up in terms of people. I had a lot of people around me, including Michaela and Barb, who helped me in different ways. For example, driving me when I didn't have a car or um, or providing other kinds of resources or skills, things that in my previous life I would have had to pay for, um, staff members or uh, people who worked for my business at the time, um, I was getting for free because of the people around me who are volunteering their time so uh, and their expertise in those areas. So money can show up not only in a physical monetary sense that you have in your bank account, but it can also show up in other ways, people for providing services and products and things like that to you um, when you need them. So, uh, so I thought we could start there and then, you know, move on from there. Yeah, I, I agree. What the guides say, and I, and I did an entire channeled transmission on prosperity is that there is a big difference between the concept of money and prosperity, which is more of a collective vibration. So 
So the very idea that we all come with an inheritance that is going to carry us through this entire incarnation, it sort of puts us in this individualized mindset of, of separation, because in order to somehow access that inheritance, there are things we're going to have to do in order to generate the material manifestation of that money in our lives. Yet there are a couple of things we have to keep in mind. Um, first, all of the karmic influences that we go through. So these periods of time where we aren't with the things that we need, these are all tied into the human condition. Okay. So, so the very idea that we go through a period of bankruptcy or we don't have what we need isn't exactly how we're meant to experience our reality. It's just been a chronic and common theme that we all saw prior to incarnating and came here to shift. But if we believe that we are here alone and having to do everything alone, and it's up to us to put the effort in to receive a certain amount of abundance, we're really missing the point because uh, like what you said a minute ago, prosperity, it's people. And, and if we aren't in a state of unity consciousness where we are more connected in that way, we'll never realize the true value of that inheritance because it isn't just a monetary currency. And there, those of us who are here in this spiritual conversation, um, and we talk about this all the time, we, we tend to put these very negative um, connotations on money because we understand how it is used as such a control mechanism. Yet here we are in physical bodies having been taught that we need to control our reality in order to receive. So, so that control, it goes both ways. The, the energy that is manifesting within us, our various belief systems and, and how we operate in the world is going to impact our collective reality. And we're going to find ourselves with structures, whether they be financial and monetary or, or anything else that, that reflect those limitations. So the guides often talk about um, contradictions that we put in our field or limitations, for example. And, and when we're having this conversation about money, measurement has to come into the conversation, I believe, because um, how we value our worth in the world has been so focused on what we achieve in that material world, which couldn't be farther from the truth. And again, those of you who are here involved in these conversations understand that our awakenings are moving us more into purpose-driven um, expressions uh, of our unique talents and abilities. And it's really hard to put a monetary measurement or value on those things in the world uh, compared to where we've been before. So, so really moving away from a lot of limiting beliefs about how much money we need to do certain things, um, how much time and effort it's going to take to bring that money in, as well as how prosperity comes to us in so many different ways. And my, uh, 20s, um, just to share some of my personal journey through this idea that Michaela is just talking about. I've had different beliefs about money all throughout my life. When I was very young, I grew up in an Indian family where money 
and prestige were the only important things. So becoming a doctor or an engineer was really important because anything else was embarrassing and, and didn't resemble success in, in the viewpoint of that culture. Um, but money also was a primary thing. So how much money you made dictated the amount of respect you gained in the family and, and, uh, and by society in general in that particular uh, culture. And so I grew up with these ideas that money was really important. And, and so early on in my life, I pursued um, things for a monetary nature. But at the same time, something was sort of working against me because even in my 20s, although I was pursuing in my 20s, my goal was by age 30, I wanted to become a millionaire. And so I was in business even from a very young child, but in my teens and 20s, um, started businesses and, and got out into the world, my focus being reaching that financial goal. Meanwhile, though, there was a disconnect inside of me where I always felt like there was something wrong with wanting money. So, uh, which I, I know a lot of uh, you in the spiritual community who are watching the show can relate to that because you can, you're living in a world where you need money to live if you're in a westernized society. And unfortunately, it's a control mechanism system that we live within. But nonetheless, it is the way through which, one of the ways through which we access source energy to live our lives in Western society. And, and so a lot of times we can have this disconnect because on, on some unconscious level uh, or even conscious level, we know that there's something not right with the system that it's set up currently that really benefits the few. Um, but at the same time, we are living in a world where we need those resources in order to live a full life. So in my 20s, I had that disconnect. And, and even into my 30s, um, I was struggling with these ideas of where I wanted to be rich in whatever rich meant in society then, which today with inflation, a million dollars isn't as much as it was back then. But, but nonetheless... I wanted to be rich, but meanwhile, at the same time, I thought there was something wrong with wanting to be rich. So, so there was this internal struggle that always took place between my beliefs about money and what society and my family had implanted in, in, my, in me in terms of what I should, you know, what success means and what achievement means. And, and maybe to some degree, some of us grow up and never quite let go of the idea of uh, of uh, looking good or pleasing our parents. And and that may be an element that's there as well. So it took me many decades of my life to integrate all of these ideas to uh, to where I am now. And, and because of that money focus, I, and in this life, I think that's just an area I'm evolving through. And because of that, earlier on in life, I became really interested in the financial markets and investing and and business and and things like that. And so to this day, um, I've become very well educated in that area as a result. So, so I think we have to sort of uh, come to terms with the fact that we live in a society where uh, if we live in a society, which I'm sure if you're watching this video, you're probably living in a society where you need financial, uh, some sort of money or currency resources in order to be able to have a full life. Um, although, as I said earlier, sometimes that could be people helping you. So, you know, even 
very wealthy people, um, they may not be wealthy or abundant because they have money in the bank account, but it could just be they have a lot of people helping them and lots of resources that are available to them that may not be monetary at all. So, so there is that disconnect, I think, between our belief systems that I personally experience, and I know a lot of people in the spiritual community also experience, between sort of the self-sabotaging belief of money is not okay to charge money, it's not okay to have money, money is evil. Meanwhile, uh, if you believe that and you live that way, you're limiting your ability to access those resources that you came here to have to live the life you came here to live. Does that make sense in what you're saying? Yeah, and you know, I, I, I want to add that I think those of us in the spiritual community who do feel inherently that money is bad, um, it, it's really coming from a place of higher consciousness and awareness because the imprint of money and how it has been controlled on planet earth is indeed a problem. And, and that does not feel natural to us as, as heart-based souls who are here to not only live a life of, of prosperity and abundance, but to also serve. So I think those of us um, in this conversation, we, we innately recognize where we have been blocked from receiving what we need to do the very big things that we know are necessary to turn the planet around. So, so if we go back to, you know, ancient civilizations, for example, maybe more enlightened civilizations, and we look at government, um, you know, we had councils that were brought together of very enlightened and loving beings as mentors and represent representatives of the entire population. And the reason that worked so well is that unity consciousness did exist. So we weren't existing in a world where there was so much separation and so much judgment and little hierarchy <laughs> compared to what we have today. So these are all the things that I think we're here to address. It's changing the imprint of money as a material form of exchange that I believe is so important and, and we're in the midst of. And so, so I want to play off what you talked about in terms of your childhood, because mine was similar, but different. I, I grew up in a very um, middle to lower class neighborhood, East side Detroit. My dad worked on the line at GM. My mom was a nurse. Um, everything that I wanted, I had to pay for myself. So I was babysitting. I was working three jobs, you know, the whole um, shebang. And while that instilled in me a certain work ethic and um, I think drive to achieve, I don't have the karmic themes that you do with money in my soul's divine plan. Mine are completely different. And, and we've talked in a past episode about some of the health implications that have been a major component of, of my awakening and evolution. So, so what I've noticed about money even though I grew up in this, you know, family where money was, you know, kind of important and, you know, we were focused on going out and getting it is I never had any resistance to it. There was no resistance to me having a job. There was no resistance to me working long hours. I never really had any feeling that the money wouldn't come, which I know sounds really weird. And I don't want to say that in such a way that it sounds egoic, but, but I think we all have 
this one area or even several areas of our lives where we are so nonchalant and everything just goes smoothly because we believe it's going to. And for me, that's been the case throughout my life. Not that I haven't struggled with money at, you know, certain phases and points of my journey. I I definitely have um, physically and emotionally at times, but not to any great degree. And even during those periods, I just had this underlying feeling and, and voice inside of me that was saying everything was going to be okay. And that's something I believe that comes from many other lifetimes. It's just an area that you're not meant to focus on or work on as much as other areas. So if you can apply that voice or that inner feeling in the areas that are going really well in your life to the ones that aren't, I think that's where we can see some really great you know, success or, or balance. And it's really just a vibrational thing because even within us, we have these hierarchical energies and structures going on. We, we have conversations all day long about our worth in our heads. And those make a huge impact on how we're able to access all of this energy that source is providing to us in so, so many different forms. And I know a lot of people um, who are here on the call, they uh, practice law of attraction, for example, and, and gratitude, which I'm a, I'm a huge believer in. Uh, but I think we have to really simplify it to truly understand where our abundance comes from and, and why we are here with a certain amount of resource at times and, and not. And the guides always focus on presence. So in the course that I did, um, which was with the Nihal and Lakshmi, uh, who I love, they were helping us to get into the present moment with very precious resources that were so simple, like water. You know, Lakshmi had me do this daily shower practice where uh, just being in the warm water, you just felt the gratitude and wanting to share that with everyone on the planet who didn't have access to it the way that I do. And I can say without a doubt that this opened up avenues of prosperity and abundance in my life because things started coming in that I did not expect. And I told this story in the class, Lakshmi had me training in these very simple ways to pay attention to the abundance I already had that the earth was just providing in ways that I don't really pay attention to. Um, And the next day, literally the next day, uh, my neighbors who are farmers dropped off an entire basket of leftover organic food on my porch, right? Which is prosperity, right? So I think there are so many ancient practices and tips and things like that, that we can use to get us into a prosperity mindset, but it's more than this. It's recognizing where our karmic themes and an evolutionary process is taking us and why and how we can apply the vibration of different areas that are going well to the ones that aren't. Yeah, I want to touch on what you said about people using gratitude. And I think that although it seems to make sense that practicing gratitude is the ideal state to be in to to receive whatever you put in place for source to provide for you. But, but I think a lot of times when people practice gratitude, it is with resistance. So 
So you may be struggling emotionally and, and in fear over money or resources. Meanwhile, you're trying to force yourself to be grat- grateful. And I don't think that's the right approach. Ultimately, the idea behind gratitude as a ma- means to get to this ideal state of being is to reach a state of non-resistance. So, so if you practice gratitude, it has to be in the context of that gratitude removes a resistance, but it can't just cover it up. So if as soon as you, you know, maybe you look at your life and you think, oh, I have such wonderful things, and the next moment you're worried about money again, that's not really going to help. So eventually we need to get to that place of non-resistance because in, in a state of non-resistance, there's not, gratitude is not even necessary. Let's, let's take a, another example. For example, if we take a billionaire, uh, somebody who has for all practical purposes, unlimited financial resources, at least as far as, you know, we would need to do anything in this life. And those people probably don't wake up every morning and express gratitude for their yachts and their private planes and these things. They're simply just living their life. They're not thinking moment to moment, is there enough money to buy groceries or is there enough money to make my car payment or my mortgage or my rent or whatever, the heat bill, the electric bill? They don't think about those things. So it, so money and the use of money, when you're at that level of wealth, is not something that you think about very much. Now, I'm sure they think about money as it pertains to their businesses and things like that. But then they're dealing with uh, something that's on a much grander scale in terms of what monetary resource means for them. It has nothing to do with their own personal lives. Whereas, let's take the United States as an example. Statistically, right now in the United States, as of the making of this video, uh, and I just heard the statistics the other day, there are about 60% of Americans who um, have to, uh, are considering that in the next two months or so, will have to get a loan just to buy groceries. And this is the current state of the financial picture right now. And so they are worried about the money that it's going to take just to make their basic needs in life. And yet people who are billionaires are not having those kinds of thoughts. They are not worried about the next meal or their place of living or they're going to be homeless. Um, So ultimately... We need to model that. We need to get into a frame of mind or rather state of being where there's non-resistance. And when you're in a state of non-resistance about something, you don't really obsess over it or think about it. It's just something that's there. As I always use the example of breathing and how most people don't really think about breathing. It just happens in the background. Yet it's another way source provides for you, right? This physical body requires air in order to function and Uh, And so breathing is there and the next breath is always there and it's available to us and we don't think about it. And this is the same way that people who have a lot of financial wealth deal with money. They don't worry about the basic necessities that that they have in everyday life. So ultimately, it's not really about gratitude. It's it's really about non-resistance. And in a state of non-resistance, gratitude naturally exists as well. Um, Another thing I want to point out is that People, the difference in society, for example, between the average person and people who are multimillionaires, billionaires, um, and so on, 
is that while the average person goes to the average educational system and schooling, and they are taught these, these, uh, and of course in the U.S. and I'm sure this is true in most schools around the world, most people are not taught to be rich or taught to have money or abundance. We are taught to function inside as a cog inside of the system in society so that we can have jobs and work so that the people who own these corporations, so the billionaire class, can continue to make money. So we are not taught good habits or, uh, or good tools to understand money, which is controlled by the people who control the world. And, and so they have created this system to benefit them and we are taught the things that we need to know so that we can function inside the system to benefit them. So the schools that they go to and the things that they learn, they're taught about financial literacy and they're taught about investing and being in business. And even in their families they're raised in, they're, they're, they move into roles where they run companies and they become leaders of the world. Everyday people are not taught these things and uh, on purpose because if everybody had abundance in the societal structure that we have in the world today, then the people at the top couldn't be at the top. And that's something that we need to understand is that our dysfunctional views and beliefs around money were given to us in a system that was created specifically to keep everyone at the bottom while a few people remain at the top. And so we need to shift those views. So when we are we believe that money is evil or there's something wrong with charging money for things. Those are not thoughts that are natural to us. They are thoughts that were implanted because of the society we live in and our parents who were raised in that society, who grew up in that society, who then, who then imprint those ideas onto us. Meanwhile, the, the wealthy people, their kids are going to different schools and they're learning different things and they're learning the financial literacy and the tools so that they can have very abundant lives. So we have to keep those things in mind that our views may be influenced by, um, by the system that we live in and, uh, and causing us to not live to our potential. What Lakshmi explained in the transmission is exactly what you're saying, but, but she calls it condition, conditions or putting something uh, as, a, as a limitation in your field. So if we are doing a gratitude practice to receive money by its very nature, we've already limited the potential of that money coming in. So our goal is to be in such a quantum state of appreciation in each present moment for everything that we have, that we are doubling and tripling that bounty because the field around us, which is source energy, it, it's infinite. So we hear people talk all the time about infinite potential. We have infinite potential. Uh, but what does that actually mean? Well, the second we say we need $15,000 in order to pay off our debt, we've just put a finite expression into that field. And we may get that money, but then find ourselves in a similar situation down the road because we haven't really opened ourselves up to that infinite potential, zeroing in on this very linear um, 
experience and an amount that we need. So I think it's important to keep ourselves constantly open to the miracles that the universe wants to provide, which often come in very mysterious ways that we do not expect. But I also want to touch on what you said about inequality in in money. And we have this upper echelon, right? Hierarchical type of structure where there are billionaires and there are, you know, those of us who struggle. And there is somewhat of a movement today to equalize that abundance in a very physical way. And the guides say that would actually be impossible because for us to consider that everyone's going to have the same amount of money is really limiting the material imprint of money to begin with. So it's defining it as our only source. And that is not true. So, so we've made money our source. It is simply a source of exchange. It isn't our true source. And the second we step out of our power in that way, we create all of this interference, I think, between us and the true source, which is always um, a part of our reality. We can't necessarily cut it off, except if there are times that we're meant to have a personal experience of what that material abundance actually means and how we are so intricately connected to it. And typically, I think this has to do with worth with our self-worth. And and the guys actually say that, that the collective monetary system is an expression of how the collective values itself. So so if we're taught that we're just cogs in the wheel and and we need to go out and and earn a paycheck, we have to do things that we don't love, we're going to end up with a monetary system that, that we don't like. So I don't think we're necessarily leaving the idea of material exchange behind, but we're taking with us all that we've learned in our spiritual awakenings and applying it in that way. So, so just the idea that we want to be a millionaire um, is, is a limited expression of our capability because if we all had that amount of money to share with others, imagine what kind of a world this would be. And it's not to say doing things with your money for yourself is wrong. I think we're here to live a full life. Some of us are here to do really amazing things and have amazing experiences with that money. But again, we have not been purpose driven. We've been uh, taken so far out of our true nature, which is a sharing type of economy, which is Um, unity consciousness, which is living in community, that we've really lost that perspective. So we talked in a past video about open source, and I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I think it is an important add to this conversation that the more that you are willing to give freely without any condition the more you are going to find to give in the future. And that's truly been my experience of this type of light worker model, we'll call it, which I know we'll get into detail about later. Um, but again, that's a different type of mindset than we have been used to where 
hoarding resources and accumulating money and material has really been more the norm. And now to give it away freely without any condition, it's, it's a pretty big leap, I think, from how we've grown up and, and how we've been trained uh, to believe we should be in the world. Yeah, I want to touch on some of those ideas in my more practical, grounded perspective. And um, so in my lifetime, I read thousands of books, and a lot of that focus in my earlier life, not so much these days, but was was focused on uh, how do people become really wealthy? So how do billionaires become billionaires? And so in that in that period of my life, I've read numerous books written by many billionaires and hundred millionaires about how they did certain things to achieve that level of wealth. And, and, and so I'm sure many of you have done things like that and studied those things, thinking that you just had to do the same things that person did to achieve that level of success. And in my more naive years, young, when I was younger, I believed that. And I believed that I just had to do the same things they do. And of course, that's what a lot of us who read those kinds of books believe. And I think society is kind of set up that way to where we, rather than what Michaela is saying, where money, although we're harping on the topic of money here on the show uh, today, but understand that even though we're talking about that topic, we're not talking about the pursuit of money or the idea that you need to become a billionaire by emulating the things that billionaires do. Um, because that is not at all what we're saying. We're talking about being in non-resistance to source, providing you with whatever resources you came here to experience in this life. And sometimes, as I said, when I met Michaela and Barb, I had no or very little money, um, but I had an infinite amount of resources because I had Michaela helping me and she was a professional in the marketing space and uh, Barb was helping me and we had a whole team full of people who were experts in different areas. And so in a manner of speaking, I had just as much abundance and wealth as I had earlier in my life when I had to pay people for all of those things. So, so money doesn't, even though we're using that term, doesn't necessarily, you know, we're not meaning to strive for becoming a billionaire by following what billionaires do. And, and now, of course, I understand more clearly that to achieve that level of wealth that the people at the highest levels of financial well-being in our society have today, they did a lot of um, things that we wouldn't want to do. And, and not only things in their physical material life in terms of a lot of um, uh, unethical or illegal, or well, I don't want to use illegal because the legal system doesn't actually is actually set up for to control the rest of the people. It's, but but essentially, things that are that we would never want to do for the accumulation of the amount of wealth that they had. So they did things they don't write about in their books. Um, they don't tell you in their books all of the shady things that they've done to achieve that level of wealth or all the people they have walked on or stepped on or run over um, in order to achieve that level of wealth. They just write about the the nice things that we want to hear about working hard and that kind of thing. Um, so, so we have to understand that it's not about the money, but, but that whole 
genre of books, for example, or education about, and all the people out there who are teaching you how to become rich, that is not non-resistance. When you are striving to become rich, that is a lot of resistance. Whereas people who are just simply rich or feel the abundance and the non-resistance of whatever their life is providing for them are, are what we're talking about. So, so keep those things in mind that, that, um, that a lot of the people who are in the most affluent positions in our society got there doing things that we would never want to do. And, and, and even as we've discussed in many recent channeling shows, they're using certain Kabbalistic principles and even things having to do with children, who, which none of us would ever support or want to get involved with. And as the guides have said in, in some of those shows, that even simply to study that kind of material would lower our vibration to such a degree that it would be harmful for us. Yet the people who are billionaires in the world today, they do these kinds of things. And that's how they are able to skew the advantage in their favor and reach a level of financial well-being that is well beyond what their soul needs in this life to to fulfill their purpose, whatever that is. So so what we want to get to is that state of non-resistance. We don't want to get to that state of being rich because being rich and that idea that's um, in society today about becoming rich is a state of resistance. And it is an extreme state that either we could not achieve, or we would have to do a lot of things that are very inappropriate in order to achieve. And we can't learn those things from all these self-help books, which I've read many in my lifetime. Um, we have to find this state of non-resistance, at which point, whatever we need is there for us in that phase of our life. And if there's something, as Michaela said, she doesn't have the... the the kind of uh, life lessons that I have around money. Uh, and so she's just naturally, everything's been there for her financially throughout her life. Whereas I've experienced more of the challenges in that area off and on throughout my life because that was an area of focus. And also because of that, an area of expertise and understanding and knowledge that I've accumulated in this life through those challenges. Yeah, I want to I want to touch on what we've been talking about here with equalizing abundance because what the guides say is you really don't want that. What we want is for people not to suffer. And that's a different mindset. It's a way of getting out of this slavery sense of thought. Um where we we've all been somewhat indoctrinated in this belief that there is some power above us that is controlling access to what we need or taking it away. But the, the concept of money and freedom has to also be addressed. And, and the guide said in the transmission I've been referring to here, um, you think that money will give you freedom, but that's not necessarily true. You are sovereign beings from the moment you take your first breath. So, the very idea that you have to have money to be free is a limiting belief. And how we get out of that is we recognize all of the options that we have around us beyond the ones that take money. And that's been a really, I think, um, 
tightly wired kind of program that we've been running here, many of us in this timeline. Uh, I can't do this until I have this amount of money, or I can't serve a collective of human beings unless I, you know, it, I receive this. But there's always things that we can do in ways around it. And the way that we find those paths is by following our organic desire. So we talk in these podcasts a lot about desire and law of attraction and creation. And, you know, it's, it's a complex kind of situation that we're negotiating, I think, because if we do come with themes that we have to address tied to the human condition, whether they be bankruptcy or problems with money or, or something else, then how can we actually achieve our desires? But if we go back to the very beginning um, you know, the, the younger years of our lives, there were things that were trained out of us that came extremely naturally that we're actually here to do. And, and those are the things that are tied to the greatest amount of prosperity and abundance in our divine plan. So many of us who are awakening to, you know, whether it be spiritual gifts or, or talents that have been suppressed early on in life, are finding a different kind of freedom. And I think it has to do less with money, even though the money's there, and more to do with lifestyle and, and a way of living. Because even the most, um, you know, I mean, um, successful millionaires are living lives of restriction and unhappiness. So if you're always focused on money, and that being the condition for that happiness, you're really going to miss out on all the things that you came to do and experience organically that are programmed into your body and your spirit and your mind, uh, your creativity, right? These are the things that really make us feel free um, that we're striving for here. Now you mentioned, uh, and of course, I've discussed this in previous shows uh, about how when when I met you and Barb and so on, I didn't have any money or I had very little. I had just gone from a period of my life where I had a lot of money and a lot of material things to losing it all and having to start my life entirely over. And you were talking about, uh, what was the word you used? Passion or something um, or desire? Desire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I met Michaela and Barb, I already had developed a new desire to go in this new direction to have an expo and to do these energy transfer events and so on. The energy transfer events were not of any consequence financially. Of course, I needed the people to drive me places then because I didn't have a car. But uh, and 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 of course the people were provided. The people showed up to help me to do that. And I was embarking on putting on a conference at a big conference center in downtown Detroit uh, where we live. And uh, and I had no money to do something of that scale, nor did I have the knowledge or the expertise or the staff to do those things. And in my former life, when I had money, I would have had I would have used that money to pay for the people with the expertise to do those things. So all I had was desire, a desire to go in this new direction that pulled me forward and the fearlessness in a manner of speaking, or rather to some degree non-resistance to go in that direction anyway, even though I had no idea how the money or resources would be there to make that happen. Um, so I went forward anyway. 
And in the process of going forward and having no idea how it was going to all work out, it just worked out. Year after year, we did the conference, it just worked out, even though year after year, the same issues were there. And so that's what I think you're talking about, is is to have that desire and go forward in a state of non-resistance, and the universe will provide whatever it is that you put in motion to be there for you to do those things. Now, I could have lived that life very differently, too, and not taken those kinds of what I saw at the time as risks, because I had no way to quantify how things were going to come together uh, in a practical sense in the physical in the physical life I was living. And yet, just simply going forward in a direction of the desire that compelled me forward, the people showed up with all the expertise and knowledge I needed to do what I needed to do. The, the resources in whatever way showed up. And even though the monetary resources actually didn't show up in the way that I thought, Nonetheless, I was able to do it year after year after year for some time. So, so I think that's what you're referring to in terms of desire, right? Yeah, I, I want to add to that, actually, because I think when we're making these dimensional shifts and upgrades in our life, there's inevitably going to be some period of discomfort, especially when it comes to material resource. And that has to do with our vibration, because our vibration changes so drastically that everything that we were holding on to in terms of this money matrix or prosperity matrix around us begins to crumble. And all of that support has to rebuild again in a different form. And that's actually what I experienced when I set off on this channeling direction. Um, I did go through a divorce. I was a stay-at-home mom for almost 13 years, hadn't been you know, in the workforce at all. Uh, and I had as much money as I needed. I had no reason to struggle whatsoever. But in that transition, there were a lot of really unexpected and ugly turns that caused me to have to let go of that security blanket, which I was not prepared for whatsoever. And because of the fear in me that I would not be provided for, I kept turning towards that past to try to hold on to the things that so desperately needed to go away. And in doing so, I created a lot of suffering for myself. So, you know, eventually the guides came in and said, you know, you have to let go fully of that life and and all that it provided for you to see how the universe wants to support you next. And that was not a comfortable leap for me whatsoever. But I can tell you with 100% certainty, if you're willing to take that leap, you will see the beauty in it because that's exactly what happened when I finally decided to stop fighting and to let go and stop struggling about what wasn't there anymore. uh, The new path just blossomed and, and started to carry me and became much easier in terms of, you know, managing my, you know, personal wealth and abundance and all of that. You know, this was a a pretty tough period in my life. I couldn't get a mortgage. No one would rent an apartment to me. Uh, I was really in the midst of some turbulent change, um, but came out of it into such a better life. So I, I notice in my private sessions with clients, I'm seeing a lot of people who are in this place where they're making these huge shifts again in vibration, upgrades and dimension in their lives. They're, they're preparing to 
offer services differently or they're in the midst of a relationship change. And there can be a lot of legal struggle around that, a lot of financial struggle around that. The guides always provide the same message. Uh, You have to be very neutral about what is wanting to move away and be open to the mystery and the possibility of what wants to support you in the future, which is going to look completely different than anything that you're used to or were used to in the past. Yeah, I want to talk a little, touch on some of those ideas. And in particular, we've talked in previous shows and also in channeling shows about how consciousness makes available certain resources or ways of being that lower consciousness is not, or rather a way of seeing reality and options, right? Additional options. And, you know, a lot of people, if I were to go to Michaela's family or my family and tell them that I don't pay taxes, everybody would freak out. And and everybody would tell me, oh, you're going to end up in jail or they're going to steal all your stuff or whatever. But the reality is I've known many people in my life who haven't paid taxes for decades. and the, that, But that's a perfect illustration of how consciousness makes available new ways of seeing the world and new options that you didn't have before. So you can't teach someone else how to do those things by teaching the practical techniques. A lot of people want me to explain to them, well, how do you do that? Or, and how do I do it? But the thing is, I'm in a different place than everybody else. And when you reach a certain level of consciousness, you start to see ways of doing things and options that were not available to you before. Now, the world that we live in today is set up in such a way that, that people's consciousness is suppressed. And so that's the reason why if you bring up radical ideas where things that you may be living in your everyday life that are just like breathing to you, that to other people are completely unrealistic. Just like, you know, a few years back, I was talking about, you know, don't get vaccinated and don't, you know, don't believe all the propaganda out there. And nobody wanted to hear it. I mean, some people did, but very few people did. And to me, I just went about my normal life. I didn't wear any masks. I didn't lock down. I didn't do anything differently other than we couldn't do public events as much. But my personal life didn't change. And that was a very foreign idea back then. But see, that's the thing about consciousness is as your consciousness expands, you see more of reality than than other people can see. And because of that, it gives you options to do things or you start seeing options of how you could live life differently than, than somebody else. And so in that context, we, as our consciousness grows, will start to be in more states of non-resistance as it pertains to money. And ultimately, you know, taxes are another factor of that because we are paying for our own enslavement and our own suffering in society. The more we contribute to these systems that are there to enslave everybody else. Now, the people at the very highest levels of society financially are not encumbered by these things. They don't pay taxes or they have their structure set up in such a way that they don't worry about those things. Those rules are there for the rest of us to keep society in this limited state of being. So it may require a shift in consciousness for you to have available these ideas of how to live more fully in, in, in the life that you came here to live, where 
um, the abundance that you set up before you came can be fully available to you. So, um, so that's something that kind of came to me in, in the context. Now, I would like to, you know, uh, hear what you might think about that, but I, I think we could also talk about the global financial situation right now as well and, and what we see happening in the world. Before we do, I yeah. want to add a couple of points that I think are really important that came up during the course. Um, we think about ancient civilizations and, and all of these various rituals and ceremonies that, that they would um, involve themselves in for prosperity and abundance. And what the guides actually said, which was surprising, is that they valued knowledge more than money. So what they were actually doing was opening up the Akashic records, wanting to expand consciousness so that they could see those options and they could utilize them as evolutionary steps to move their entire communities forward. And that's ultimately what we're attempting to do today. I think when we have a spiritual practice or, or we're meditating or we're getting together with a group, as opposed to having to focus on money, uh, what we're going for is a vibrational shift that opens our consciousness to allow in support from other realms or access to the Akashic records or to have the courage to take steps and do things that we never would have thought possible before, because that's truly what this timeline is all about. But even, um, you know, uh, Nefertiti, for example, or Cleopatra, you know, we see them adorned in all of these, you know, various jewels and gold. And they said it had nothing to do with stature or money. It had everything to do with vibration. So they were attempting to surround themselves with things that felt really rich and, and, and natural and wonderful to their energy fields and to their bodies. And these are some of the things that we can keep in mind to do today. And, and I know we've talked about this in other transmissions, you know, surrounding yourself with beauty. Um, even the most simple things can make the greatest impact when it comes to bringing in the vibration of abundance. So. Yeah. And I don't think it has to be anything major. No, right? I mean, you can start small. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's what they stressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think as I look over my life, there are many points in my life when, where I had a lot less money than I have now, when I considered myself wealthy. So, uh, so I don't think it's a certain dollar amount in your bank account. Uh, I think it's really more a state of being. And, uh, and for me, I like art and color and beautiful things. And so I put those, you know, create an environment that, that has that in it. And for me, that feels happy and it feels wealthy. And, and to the next person, they may not see it that way. And so I think regardless of what your condition is right now, you want to get into that non-resistant state. And to get from where you are to that non-resistant state, you, one of the ways or that we can do that, of course, consciousness is essential. So you can't just do physical things and that's it. Because even if you do just physical things, if your consciousness doesn't support it, you won't have the range of options available that someone else may have. So ultimately, consciousness has to also be there and also the physical things. You have to do both because we also came here to have physical lives. So it's not enough to spend our entire lives trying to raise our consciousness. Meanwhile, our physical lives get no attention at all. Um, so you have to do both. And that might be, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of 
dollars or whatever your currency is but maybe you can afford to buy a pretty uh, you know attractive shirt or uh or a bouquet of flowers or maybe you can't even afford a bouquet of flowers but you can go somewhere and pick a bouquet of flowers and put it in your environment and if it's flowers make you happy then that's that's something that will help or maybe you can paint your walls a certain color or um buy certain uh, furniture or whatever it is for you that's within your range. It, it can start out very small. And I think if you start out with something very small that's within your capabilities and just keep building on that, eventually you find yourself surrounded by a beautiful environment that inspires you, that makes you feel rich. Just simply being there you feel that wealth, and that's what's going to get you into that state of non-resistance where the source can provide whatever it is that you needed in order to fulfill your mission. So, so I think it can be very small, doesn't have to cost anything, or it could cost a lot depending on your situation and your ability to do that. Uh, and, and I think that's really important. Like Money for the sake of flaunting money uh, is a state of resistance. But money, when it's used to create joy and fulfillment in your own life, uh, in, in even very simple ways, is the direction we want to go in reaching that state. Yeah, I think in, everyone's completely different. So Ethan's really focused on beauty and color. And, and for me, time, having available time or managing my own schedule makes me feel very prosperous and and for everyone, it's different. And I think that's really what this shift in consciousness is truly all about. Um, taking back our sovereignty is really creating a lifestyle and in a home and an environment that we love and enjoy. And that's what has been taken away from us. So we're always trying to achieve a certain amount of money through a source outside of us that isn't the true source. Um, we don't realize how much we have been restricted in these various areas of our lives. So taking this channeling path for me, you know, regardless of the money, has really truly been like the most prosperous and adventurous period of my life because it involves a lot of creativity, um, a lot of free time, a lot of trusting in things that you know, are very mystical and, and metaphysical, which is so completely different, I think, from how we're used to living. Yeah, I thought um, maybe we can talk a lot about, a little bit more about the current situation sure. in the world and how to navigate that, because yeah. uh, I think we're, of course, I follow cycles, and I also am very, still very much interested in and follow very closely the global macroeconomic picture as well. Um, so, so I do think we're heading into a period of time in the next several years that are going to be very difficult financially for most people all over the world, um, depending on your area, that may not be true for you. And of course, we all live in slightly different realities. So even though you could be living in the midst of a you know, chaotic situation in the environment around you, just like I said, last few years, um, the global craziness didn't really touch me personally because um, I was not in that reality. And in the same way, in these years ahead, you may be in the middle of it and observe everybody around you struggling. Meanwhile, it doesn't really affect you. So it, it can vary from person to person. But I'm speaking more in terms of a, the global picture right now and what 
the majority of people will probably experience in the in the years ahead. Um, now I know a lot of people, and maybe even some of you watching the show, when you talk we talk about the topic of money, everybody wants to go back to bartering, and bartering is the system that you know the ideal system. But the reality is, if we end up creating a bartering system in our society today, that will have mean that that the society has collapsed to such a degree that we have gone back to the dark ages because we are in a global society today. And in a global society, you can't really barter. It's impractical. I can't, if I make a piece of art or a fur coat or something, I can't trade that with somebody on the other end of the planet for a camera that I may need for filming in our studio. So it's completely impractical to use bartering as an idea unless you live in a close-knit community that's not really interacting outside of it. So if we get to a future in our modern world where bartering is the way that we exchange monetarily, then we will have gone so far back in society to where, well, there's no internet and there's no you know global community. We just have our close-knit village of people that we exchange things with. So, you know, somebody else is a fisherman, and I make fur coats, and I can trade my fur coat for the fish uh, so that I can eat and provide for my family. And, and that's totally impractical, and it's not going to happen in the world that most of us live in. Now, if you want that, you could certainly move to a part of the world where there might be a close-knit community or tribe where they are not exposed to outside of them themselves, where that kind of exchange may still exist and may work. But in modern society, we, we, don't, we can't have that. We exchange monetary value through uh, electronic means these days, not even physical anymore. So more and more as we go forward, we're not even exchanging physical coins or paper dollars or currency. We're exchanging digitally. And I think that's in most of our lifetimes or all of our lifetimes, that's the future we're heading into. I don't see that going away anytime soon. But I don't see that as being a problem. The means of exchange is irrelevant to sourcing what we need to have to fulfill our lives. So I think it's important to be willing to work with whatever that tool is that we're provided with in the world that we live in today. I mean, we came to Earth at this time to live in this time to experience these things. And it doesn't make any sense to shun the monetary system that exists, because all it does is it harms us, uh, unless you want to move to a part of the world where it's not necessary. So I think bartering is unrealistic and it's not going to happen. Um, but in the world that we're living today, uh, even as we are making this show today, uh, there are a lot of banks collapsing in the United States. And and I think that is uh, it's an orchestrated thing that's happening. I don't think it's accidental that the banks are collapsing. I think that it's a takeover of the global banking system to concentrate the the uh, the banking and the currency into the hands of a few large institutions. Uh, and as a result, I, I think we're going to go into sort of a Great Depressionary period where a lot of people are going to struggle financially. And as I mentioned this, the statistic earlier about people needing to have to borrow money to pay for food, in the United States, 50 to 60 percent of the population equals about um, uh, 100 to 150 million people or more. So there's 150 million people in the United States today 
who cannot afford to buy food. And, and that's even before I think things are going to get much worse on that mainstream level. So we have to sort of prepare for that emotionally and also practically in, in the world that we're heading into. Uh, and I think we can talk a little bit about some of those things. Yeah, I, I'm going to take this to a metaphysical place just for a minute to talk about how the guides would explain what's going on and, and first say that in these ancient civilizations, communities where bartering was uh, the mode of, you know, exchange, it was based on a very different vibrational quality than what we consider today. There's this beautiful story in, in the book about uh, the fisherman in an ancient tribe and how he knew from a very young age that that was meant to be his contribution. He just had a knack for it. It was something that was really fun and exciting for him. And he couldn't wait to bring the fish to marketplace to see on the faces all of the surprise and smiles and anticipation, right, of the people who would receive it. And it would be a different fish every time. And the families couldn't, you know, didn't know what to expect. And that was the energy of exchange that was facilitating this incredible, we'll say, um, you know, community abundance that we don't realize today. But we also have to consider that the everything that we've created, so the monetary system, the institutions that that uphold it and manage it, all of those things are very similar to what I was talking about in my divorce example and in, in walking this path to channeling. We're moving into a new dimension. And that's only because we are new humans. We are far more conscious. We're tuned in vibrationally. We are considering all of these various concepts. And because of that, the things that supported us before can no longer come with us in the same way that we're used to having them. And, and so it's easy to forget that perspective when we talk about what's going on in the monetary system today, because of course it's shrouded in a lot of evil and, and darkness and, and it can be very fearful. But if we remember that we're here paving new roads to help the entire human race move into a better reality, it can motivate us to um, attain that knowledge that the ancients did and to follow our innate desire within us to contribute something that's of value. Yeah, I like a lot of what you mentioned there and uh, brings up a few different ideas. For example, I mean, in, in a barter society, you may have immediate needs. For example, the fisherman you mentioned, who always knew he was going to be a fisherman. And I think that's one thing that we're out of touch in society today is we are we're raised in a structure and educated inside of a system so that we all become cogs in the system to benefit the people at the top. We are not taught at a young age to explore what we came here to do and to do what fulfills us and what we're naturally good at, right? So we all come into life with certain talents and abilities and interests. And if we created a society where those were nurtured, then we would always thrive because we would naturally fall into doing those things that, that interest us most, that we are really good at doing. And even in, and I think this is what's important in what you're saying, even in a society where you may have a great depression, let's say, as an idea where people are struggling financially, 
if you are doing that thing that you are extraordinarily good at, that you always knew you were here to do, you're going to be fine. And I think that's why people struggle is because most people aren't doing that. Most people are in the, a cog in the system trying to be a cookie cutter of everybody else, right? And so, uh, whereas if you are extraordinarily good at something, because not only did you know when you came into this life that you were going to do that thing, but you also, because of that, that um, desire to do that thing, you got really good at it in this life to where people seek you out for that thing that you do because you do it so well. Then no matter what the economic situation in the world, you're going to thrive because you are so good at that thing that nobody else is as good as you. And of course, we talked about that in our previous show as well about not being a carbon copy of everybody else, discovering what makes you special and focusing in on that area. And I think that's one of the key things in the, year, the years that we're going into is there's no need to struggle. But, it, but if you're doing something that everybody else is doing in a society where uh, people are struggling financially, uh, you may have challenges as well. And so I think it's really important to, to, try, to, to try to focus uh, in on those areas that interest you most. And, um, uh, but, but speaking about a bartering system versus the world we live in today, um, I want to sort of look at money a little bit differently. Money in the world that we live today is simply a means of storing energy. So for example, if I'm a fisherman and I'm really good at it and I was born knowing I was going to be a fisherman, in a closed society or a small community like in ancient times where people have immediate needs. One person may need food and the other person may need clothing. So the person who makes clothes can barter the clothes for the person who is the fisherman. And those needs are immediate. Whereas in a society today, if let's say one person makes clothes and the other person needs food, um, they may not be the same person. So, you know, I may need clothes today and the other person may need food tomorrow and uh, I may not be able to exchange my clothes for that food tomorrow. So where if I sell those clothes to somebody else and they pro provide something monetary, you know, let's say a digital currency of some sort, which most of us deal in digital currency today, if you're using a credit card, debit card, PayPal, even your bank accounts, very few of us actually handle physical currency anymore. That digital currency in my bank account is simply the storing of the energy that I put into creating those clothes. And that energy is sitting there available for me to utilize when the time comes that I need to buy the fish to provide for my family or provide food. So money is simply the storage of energy of something that we did at an earlier time when we're living in a global economic system where exchange is not something that needs to happen immediately or in real time. And sometimes, you know, we may store up money in a bank account or some other means to be later utilized for things that we may need um, that are not associated that could be immediately bartered for. So think of money that way as a storage system as opposed to um, only an exchange system. 
And I want to add some context here about the energy of exchange, which the guides say is the vibrational motion that keeps the abundance coming in from that entire matrix of people, you know, and experiences that we have going on. We can clearly see how that's being suppressed. So if we look back the last couple of years with lockdowns and, you know, restrictions, the energy of exchange has been suppressed to such a low level and is, you know, continuing in all these other forms that it's causing this innate material struggle that's going on. But the beauty of that is what the ancients brought in with knowledge. So what we're attempting to do is to keep that energy of exchange open in our lives in new ways, in different avenues and in different paths to make those more concrete for the future and, and for truly the whole of humanity. So, so I know we talked in, I don't know, it's a few podcasts ago, maybe about the the pandemic and how um, we started sourcing food completely differently because we weren't going to go into stores that were requiring all of this crazy stuff. And what that opened up for us was a completely different way of living and exchanging with farmers and, you know, in, in neighbors. And, and that's really what we're going back to. So I don't think it's the bartering system right, of the past, but it's bypassing all of these inorganic and unnatural and hierarchical, you know, structures that have kept us in this very suppressed one lane, very linear way of sourcing. If we're moving into a multidimensional reality, it's going to take a little ingenuity uh, for us to take the paths less traveled such that this new reality is something that we truly want and is going to offer us more freedom. That's an interesting idea um, that you touched on. And I think um, what needs to be said there is that uh, I agree with you that I think the, the new system does not have to be bartering. I like how you illustrated that. I think it really is we have to start working with each other more instead of dealing with the centralized systems that filter things through us. Meaning, if I want to buy uh, a piece of, oh, let's take food, for example. You know, prior to the last few years, we used to buy most of our food at grocery stores. Uh, and since the last few years, more and more, we're moving away from grocery stores to where myself, I buy very little at grocery stores anymore. I'm primarily buying direct more and more direct from the producers or the farmers or whoever and preparing my own food and things like that. So I'm going back to more simpler things. I'm still using a digital currency to exchange with, but who I'm exchanging it with is, is more direct to the people who are actually doing those things. And I think that's where we need to go to as a society. We have to go back to each of us producing amazing things in the areas that we're really good at. I have no desire to be a farmer in this life. Maybe that'll change at some point, but at this point, that's not the case. Yet there are people out there who love being farmers and they're really good at it. And they've probably been doing their whole lives. Uh, and, uh, and I'm more than happy to buy something directly from them to, to um, give them the resources for them to keep living the life they came here to live. Meanwhile, they're providing me with food that I need. And I think in this way, each of us have to break away more and more from the centralized systems that are 
keeping everyone poor except for a few people at the top who control these systems and who have created these systems for that very purpose. And this is how we create a better world. Uh, and this is also how we help each other in the years ahead to uh, to navigate through and weather the storms of the financial storms that are coming in the world. So for example, if you are really good at, you know, I can speak to art because I like art. And uh, if you're really good at making a certain kind of art and people really love that kind of art and they're willing to pay for it, then you could do that. And even in an environment where people are struggling, struggling financially, if you're really good at that thing, there are going to be people out in the world who are willing to pay for it and which will give you the resources to keep doing what fulfills you and what makes you happy. Meanwhile, your art adorns their environment and makes them happy. So this is what we have to go to as opposed to we buy things from centralized sources that are multi-trillion dollar corporations or trillion dollar corporations that are then enslaving humanity to produce their products and services for you, thereby enslaving you. And this is, um, I think, what's really important to state there. We have to move more and more in the direction of a society where each of us stops working for centralized systems or corporations and instead discovers what we're really talented at. Not what we want to do only, but what we're also good at doing. And I think that's there is a place for everybody where those two converge, where it's not only what we want to do, but also what we're really good at doing is the area where we can be the most successful. And even in an economic climate where most people are struggling, there is a place where you could do that thing and 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 go through the time ahead with no problems at all. Um, so I think that's was something that I got out of that. Yeah, this is a period of decentralization, and unfortunately, what we watched over the last couple of years was the you know the small businesses, the small farmers, you know, struggling and continuing to struggle. But what the guys have said is is that is going to make a complete and total comeback. So we're really walking into an era where small business, the small farmer, is actually going to become more the norm for us. And, and we can see some examples of this in, in every area really on planet Earth today. Um, you know, for example, uh, those of you who are parents out there might be noticing there's a mass exodus right now from conventional school systems because of the programming and the restrictions and, and all of the things that have happened the last couple of years. And, and it's really kind of a rogue area because in the parents that I've talked to, we've you know worked with in Flower of Life, um, some of them are doing their own thing. They're completely unschooling and just keeping their kids at home and others are forming homeschool pods and groups and, you know, parents are coming in to teach various skills and to mentor. And, and that's really a beautiful thing. It's, it's really showing us the potential of the future. And I think in the financial um, market, it's been the uprising of these various cryptocurrencies, which is a very rogue, right, kind of an area. We know they're not all stable and they're not all where they're meant to be. And some of them are going to fall away and others might rise to the top. But, um, we're seeing that fragmentation or that decentralization so that we can all empower ourselves to become the banks <laughs> and take care of ourselves. And especially, I think, take care of each other. Um, that's what we're setting ourselves up to do. 
is to not only be prosperous for ourselves, but to be able to take care of people beyond our own families and, and have that um, shared uh, in reciprocity with us. Yeah, and, and so I want to talk a little bit about uh, cryptocurrencies, but now this is not an endorsement of cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin or anything in particular, but just the idea. And I know some of you, and I've seen these sorts of comments before on our videos when we talk about this topic, that um, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin are evil and it was started by the cabal and um, whoever. And it, it is possible. We don't know who the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto, who supposedly started Bitcoin, is or what group of people it might be. It could very well be DARPA or some government agency. That's very possible. But we have to look at, well, what else is a better option right now in society? I mean, either we're going to move in a direction of something that is technically better, uh, or we're going to stay in the existing system because bartering is not realistic. Um, so if we're going to stay in the existing system, then we're still dealing with a system that's extremely controlled and very centralized. And of course, if some of you follow the macroeconomics, you know that in the United States, let's just say, and some parts of the world already have central bank digital currencies, but in the US, they're in the process of rolling that out probably this year. And the banking collapses are probably part of that process taking place. And so sometime in the next year or two in the US and probably globally, we're going to see central bank digital currencies, which basically are a social credit-based digital currency that will allow the government to not only know every transaction you make uh, and the amounts and who you're spending the money on, but also will give them the ability to control your spending. Meaning if you have $100 in the bank, in the old system, you could spend that $100 whenever you wanted. Where in the new system with a central bank digital currency, they could prevent you from spending your $100 until they wanted you to do it, or they could force you to spend the $100 only with certain um, centralized global um, uh, companies or whatever. So, or ESG compliant companies that are, um, that are um, essentially ruining the world in many respects. So... So either we're going to move into a central bank digital currency that is an extremely centralized, extremely controlled and restrictive system, which I think that's part of why we're going to experience this great depressionary period ahead, is we are going to see that system where people are not allowed to spend as much money as they want, uh, even if they have that money in the bank, but also a lot of banking failures and things like that will exist. So either it's going to be that system, or we're going to have to move into an intermediate system that whether it was created by an evil entity or whether it was created by somebody who really had altruistic reasons and we don't know who that person is or a group of people um, regardless we have to look at technically is it better i mean technically a central bank digital currency is extremely dystopian and technically bitcoin as a as an example of cryptocurrencies is better is it uh, a utopia? No, because it's still a monetary system, but it is a pro it is progress in a direction. Meaning, Bitcoin is 
decentralized for all practical purposes. And even if it was banned in the United States, which I think it probably will be in the recent years coming up, although long-term, I don't think it will be. Um, even if it is, it still can't be banned globally. And it's still available to us. And the financial infrastructure of the world, the people who control the world, have no means of controlling Bitcoin or printing more Bitcoin and causing inflation in Bitcoin because Bitcoin is finite. Uh, I do think, though, that they may resort to confiscation or um, eliminating the on and off ramps, meaning their exchanges in the United States may have to move overseas, for example, in the short term, because ultimately they have to remove all points of resistance against a central bank digital currency. So if they want people to adopt the central bank digital currency. They have to create a crisis situation where people will do it willingly. And they also have to make all other options unavailable. Um, just like in the 1930s where they confiscated the gold from people in the U.S., they may attempt to do something like that where they may confiscate the gold and or attempt to confiscate the gold and cryptocurrencies from people so that people will be forced to adopt this central bank digital currency. Now, just understand that if such a future happens or those events do occur, just because the government says it is so doesn't mean you have to do it. Uh, a lot of people who gave up their gold in the 1930s did so out of fear. Uh, there were people who didn't do it. And, and so the power is always in our own hands. And a lot of people do things out of fear um, when and, and through propaganda and, and so on in society these days. It's easy for people to be in a fear state, um, but ultimately um, that is a move in the right direction because Bitcoin is a decentralized system and it's being adopted so much globally that it's very likely that it could end up being the main currency or possibly a main currency. And every time in our history around the world, when a fiat currency, fiat currency like the U.S. dollar, failed, uh, which we are getting to that point now, um, another currency emerged as being adopted, and that currency was not put out by the government. It was always something that happened organically among the people, and that's what I see happening with cryptocurrencies, in particular Bitcoin. It is being adopted by the people and supported by the people, although you know, we can certainly make the argument that a lot of institutions are very heavily invested in, in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Um, but it's still something that was brought about and proliferated by the people, and it still is to this day. And I think ultimately, if a CBDC is brought up by our governments, it'll just cause more people to move into this uh, another currency that is not controlled. So so we have to keep that in mind when we're thinking about monetary exchange and systems of exchange to not become so dogmatic that that we curse things that are slightly better while walking and living in a world that's uh, in a system that's much worse. So if, if you have a means that's better than cryptocurrency, then certainly that's a direction or if you live in a barter society. But otherwise, we have to move in a direction in, a, in the physical world. And e even though cryptocurrency may not be optimal, 
it is a step better than a completely centralized control system. And, and I think that's something that we need to navigate and keep in mind in the years ahead. Yeah, we're walking a bridge to a new reality. And so everything that exists on that bridge is going to be somewhat unstable and even turbulent for a while until it all comes into its final resting place and, and way of being. And, and I think that's not an easy place for us to manage a lot of times. So, so we know there could be evil influence in things that we still have to use. And, and you know, I get this a lot, like, for example, even social media platforms today. I mean, here we are, you might be watching us on YouTube. I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> um, but we know there's been a lot of censorship. It's, it's not exactly the platform that we want to bring into the future, yet the future isn't here yet with those totally better options. And I know some of you might comment and say, well, you know, rumble and this and that. And yeah, certainly, you know, things are starting to emerge that we're interacting with, but we're just not sure. So that's where being multidimensional comes in handy because we can interact with a variety of different things to uh, live our lives and, and to manage all the things that we have to do and somehow still stay neutral and, and hold back and observe as to where those things are going um, because we just don't know. You know, even with some of our payment modalities that we use, you know, we get some backlash at times about PayPal, uh, you know, or using something like Venmo, uh, but we all have credit cards and bank accounts that are attached to, you know, this entire system that may be deconstructing, but hasn't fully gotten there yet. So I think the most important thing that we can do is manage our vibration with it all. And that gives us the clarity uh, and the alignment to do the things that we need to do to walk into the fifth dimension. Now, my guides have been a huge proponent of Bitcoin and some of the cryptocurrencies, and they've come up a lot in my session work for people who are business owners um, and who are trying to navigate this really, you know, wonky and chaotic time um, economically. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to say it must have been, oh, I don't remember what year it was, but they directed me uh, to a documentary about Bitcoin and um, I knew nothing about it, except, you know, I'd heard rumblings here and there, but didn't really understand how it worked and the basis of it. And um, when they led me there, and I really sat with it. I was so impressed with the structure of it all and, and how it was sovereign and could lead us into a more sovereign monetary system that I invested right away. And it had nothing to do with my own financial gain. I just actually wanted to contribute to the system to keep it moving and keep it growing. And I think applying that um, technique to whatever you're choosing to invest in or bring into your life is really critical right now. You know, step back, take a bird's eye view, you know, um, observe, and then go at something with the right vibration. And in doing so, we can't get it wrong. I think whatever's going to happen to, you know, these various cryptocurrencies, wherever they're going to emerge, we're going to be the ones who are moving them in that better direction because of how we interact with them. Yeah, you're mentioning all the problems you have with people not wanting to pay with PayPal, but they'd rather use a credit card. 
uh, I think we, especially in the spiritual space, we get so dogmatic about these ideas. But the reality is all these um, centralized systems are owned by the same people. So, so if you use PayPal and you think PayPal, or you don't want to use PayPal because PayPal is evil, um, but meanwhile you're using a MasterCard or Visa, well, MasterCard and Visa are also evil. It's all the same people who orchestrate and run the global financial system. So not any one of them is better than any other one. Um, they're all the same. They're all intertwined inside the same exchange system and structure in society. The only thing that that is available to us currently as a global digital means of exchange anyway um, is cryptocurrency, or in particular Bitcoin, not all cryptocurrencies, but but Bitcoin in particular. And at least with that, technically speaking, we can say that a few don't control the system. Now, a few may own more resources within the system, meaning there may be a handful of billionaires in the world who have an exorbitant amount of the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency that's out there, but they don't control the Bitcoin system. Whereas whether it be MasterCard or Visa or PayPal or Venmo or any means of other exchange in the mainstream financial system, those are all centralized and controlled by a handful of people and a handful of corporations, and they can dictate the value of those things, or even the U.S. dollar as an example. Um, there, is a hand, there are a handful of people in banks who control the issuing of the dollar. So in the last few years in the United States, the dollar has become significantly inflated because a handful of people decided to issue more currency. None of us had a say in that. Nobody asked our opinion. And yet now in groceries cost, um, in many cases, 100% more than they did a few years ago. Uh, even though the central bank claims that inflation is only at a very small percentage, the reality is everything costs much more than what they're saying because they massage the number so that it doesn't look as bad as it is. So in that system, they have full control. And um, whereas in Bitcoin, as an example, they don't have that. Um, it is a little bit more equal playing field. Although a person who has more dollars can certainly buy more cryptocurrency, um, it, the system itself, the infrastructure of the system itself is more fair and more equal than the old one. So we may have to move into that uh, as a means of um, navigating this time ahead. For example, if you have a lot of your assets in dollars um, in the bank account, there may be some risks there. A risk of inflation or risk of confiscation or risk of um, uh, bank failures um, uh, and, and so on. Uh, or even a risk of it being converted into a central bank digital currency, which may limit your ability to spend what you have. So to some extent, it it may be a better system to, to have some in cryptocurrencies outside of that mainstream structure. And of course, in theory, Bitcoin should go up in value as the dollar inflates. So Bitcoin compared to the dollar should increase in dollar value uh, in real terms compared to if you kept that in dollars. So at least your purchasing power doesn't change or 
maybe it may even increase and improve over the time ahead. Uh, and even though eggs in the U.S. may go from a few years ago where they were 4 or $5 for, for the really premium eggs to now they're $10 and above, in a few years it could cost $100 or more for a carton of eggs in, in the U.S. And I think that's a real reality we're seeing because our government here and many global governments, of course, but in the U.S. as an example, they are continuing to spend an exorbitant amount of money. And in fact, uh, coming up in June, the federal government is going to run out of money because they refuse to have a budget, and which means that they're going to keep increasing the amount of money that they can spend. And the only way that goes is inevitably a collapse of the, the U.S. economy and a collapse of the dollar to where the dollar becomes even more inflated. So, so we have to look at that. If you have any amount of um, uh, your energy stored in a fiat currency like the U.S. dollar, um, we have to look at the reality of the situation we're living in. And that is that there are people who control that system and they follow their own rules and they are not interested in what harm they cause to the rest of the people. So it's up to us individually to make smart decisions so that we can navigate this future and also support a new system that's more fair for the people and that is more in control of the people than is controlled by a handful of banks. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember because all of this stuff can feel overwhelming and, and very scary, especially for uh, those of you like me who don't really have a lot of background in investments and, you know, money for me is not something I like to pay attention to. Um, we have to remember that prosperity is a quantum frequency. So even though there are a lot of things that can happen in the future, and we certainly can see the possibility of how those things will manifest, all we have to work with is what we know now. And so if in each moment, in each day, we're making the best decisions that we can, with the knowledge that we have in a very vibrationally aligned way, we're going to get from here to there inevitably. And we're going to find ourselves in a different monetary system with, you know, new potentials and, and different manifestations. Yeah, I think that's great. That's a good way to end up the show today, unless there's something more you want to share. I thought that was a good summation and a good uh, good way to sort of encapsulate the whole idea that we're trying to convey. And of course, when it comes to money and abundance and these ideas, we could talk forever because we have a lot of knowledge and personal experience in these areas, both from very mainstream to a very multidimensional, spiritual, high vibrational concept. So hopefully we've um, shared some ideas here that help a little bit and uh, help to prepare you for the upcoming years ahead, uh, which globally is going to be a little bit challenging. But I think if you use some of these concepts that we discussed, um, you'll be able to navigate the road ahead and uh, and it could very well be one of the best periods of your life because uh, actually in the greatest financial challenging periods on the planet um, was when the majority of uh, or when the largest amount of people went from being poor to being rich. So so if you get into alignment with um, what source intended for you uh, in this time ahead, you can sail through this without much effort and without much resistance and, and create a really great life for yourself. 
So thank you again for joining us for another episode of our Awaken Empowered podcast. And next week we'll have a channel revelation show. And I don't know if we mentioned it before, but we're also on a lot of other platforms now. So you may want to, if you're interested in just the audio, uh, we're on um, Apple Podcast. Uh, we're on um, uh, Google Podcasts as well as um, Spotify and iTunes. Or uh, what are some of the other ones? Um, uh, Alexa. Uh, and iHeartRadio, and and we'll be on many other platforms coming up in the near future, not only in the U.S., but globally as well, uh, both video and audio. So so if you want to, if you have a preference for a different platform, you'll probably find us there in the very near future. So thanks again, and we'll see you next week.